Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew, the third chapter. We will notice uh, a few verses here in the Gospels uh, primarily, and we may step out just uh, once or twice, but mostly we'll work here in the opening section of the New Testament for these next few minutes as we open up God's Word and as we look to find some things that hopefully will be instructive and challenging and helpful for us as we try to uh, live and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It is great to see everybody tonight. It's great to have guests with us. We appreciate it so much the fact that you've come to be with us tonight. I hope that you've had a pleasant afternoon. hope you've been able to uh, enjoy this good day that the Lord has blessed us with. And I appreciate very much your desire to, uh, to be back out on a Sunday evening and to have this second opportunity to worship God and to edify your brothers and sisters. And right now to study from the Bible. This evening's lesson was actually born out of uh, some conversations that I had recently with a good brother in Christ where we were discussing some ideas and some things about evangelism. And in particular, we were having some back and forth discussion about the idea of evangelizing strangers. Just complete, total strangers. Should we accost strangers with the gospel? Are we obligated to do that? What exactly is our responsibility in sharing the gospel with just the random faces, the random people that we encounter on a day-by-day basis? And I must tell you that this brother and I, we both have, we have very different philosophies about that. But I do think that our conversations were helpful. They were helpful for me because it prompted me to think a little bit deeper and to study a little bit more. And this evening I thought it might be helpful to just share some of the fruits of my studies with the rest of you. And maybe after services I'll find that you've got some ideas and we'll be able to bounce ideas off one another and we'll be able to help each other come to a better understanding of what God's will is for us as it pertains to this particular area of our lives. So let's begin all that by reading together in Matthew chapter 3. I'm reading here beginning in verse 1. In Matthew 3 and in verse 1 we are told that in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. It seems to me that in many ways, John the Baptist serves as a template, as the prototype for what a lot of folks think of whenever they think of evangelism today. What we have here is we have this wild kind of guy who's on fire for the Lord. He's got all kinds of zeal about him. He's a little bit strange. His clothing is eccentric. He eats bugs, but he's fearless. And he's just out there just shouting out in the middle of the wilderness, repent, repent to anybody and everybody who would take the time to listen to him. And it is that prototype, that template, that I think has given rise to a lot of the modern day street prophets. That's the people who you'll find standing on the street corners, usually in bigger cities. They've got a sign in one hand with some kind of a prophetic statement on it. And maybe a megaphone in the other hand and they're shouting, repent! Jesus is coming back! The day of the Lord is near! Shouting that to every passerby and really just anybody who happened to come across them that might have a pulse. In fact, maybe slightly less vocal, but maybe slightly more awkward 
are the door knockers. They seem to be bred from all of that as well. That's the folks who go and canvass a neighborhood and they show up at people's doorsteps uninvited without prior notice and they try to engage in religious discussion and religious debate. Probably the most famous of those kinds of groups would be the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Maybe you've had the experience of those folks paying a visit to your front door. And while those kinds of no-fear, no-filter sort of evangelism techniques, those might seem rather extreme to us, there are lots of so-called experts, evangelistic experts, who are very, very comfortable with those tactics and strategies. And these, of course, are the people who write the blogs, and they write the books about evangelism, and they've got all kinds of studies and information that they want to share with folks. And the message is essentially the same in all of those I've got. Some of those evangelism type books. And the message is, hey, there's no room in the kingdom of God for people who are shy. There's no room in the people of God for people who might be an introvert. It's all about getting out there. It's all about cold calling. It's all about approaching people that you have never ever met before. Why you need to just, you need to just go. You need to go up to those people and you need to just blurt it out. You need to just say, hey, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And of course, you hear those people, they like to tell all of their dramatic stories. Some of those books that I have, they are just chock full of all of these amazing stories about people who were supposedly converted by these just random meetups. Here we were, we were at the bowling alley. And there in the bowling alley, there was this big giant biker guy. And he had long hair, and he had tattoos up and down his arms, and he had piercings all in his face, and he was holding a beer in each hand and a shirt that said, I hate God. And I walked up to him and I said, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And seven seconds later, he became a Christian. Really? Really? Is that really how the gospel works? And is that really what Jesus has called us to do? As His followers? I think we need to think about that. And we need to think very carefully about our approach to evangelism and whether or not we need to become the 21st century versions of John the Baptist. And this evening, for just a few minutes, I'd like for us to consider just a few key ideas as we think about our approach to strangers in evangelism. I think we need to give some attention to the wind and the where, and the how we go about that, before we just go foisting something on people that maybe they do not even want, and potentially we end up doing more harm to the kingdom of God than good. And so what I'd like to do for the next couple of minutes, I'd like to just share with you just a handful of truths and ideas that I think help guide us in the right direction But I want to put all of that under this one big umbrella and we'll work under that umbrella for the next few minutes. I wanted you to start right up front by stating emphatically that we are always looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others. Is is that true? I would hope it is. You don't need to shout out an amen, but I see some folks nodding along. Yes, we are always looking for opportunity to share the good news with other people. I do not want anything that I say for the remainder of this lesson to somehow be construed as, well, people are lost, people are dying, people are going to hell, and well, we're just going to sit by passively and do nothing, and we're just going to watch them go into hell. No. We care about the lost. 
Because God cares about the lost. God's desire is for all people to be saved. It is our desire for all people to be saved. And yes, that includes the lost people in my family. That includes the lost people who I am very close friends with. That includes the lost people that are my co-workers and I see day after day. But you know what? That also means that I have a care and I have a concern for lost people everywhere. And yes, that includes even strangers. And so what do we do? Well, we're always keeping our eyes open. We're always looking for opportunities. We're always praying for opportunities. We're even singing for opportunities. Tom led us in that song this morning. Lead me to some soul today. Did you believe that when you sung that? Did you really mean those words as you sung them? I hope that you did. We're always trying to to build up and work on our courage so that we're going to be ready to jump on and seize those opportunities. And we do all of that. Because we never know when we might have a random encounter that could end up leading to some good things. You want a good example of that? In fact, it's my favorite example of that. Look in John chapter 4. In John the 4th chapter, here is Jesus. He's He's just traveling. He's just on His way from Jerusalem to Galilee. And on His way, since He's traveling, doing that walking on foot, He gets thirsty. So what's He do? Well, I'm going to stop and get me something to drink. So he stops at Jacob's well, John chapter 4, pick up in verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he was sitting beside the well. Now it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. That, of course, is the beginning of what opens up this amazing conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well where he ends up through the process of that conversation. He helps her to understand who he is. She comes to faith in the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And that in turn leads to all kinds of other good things. She then goes into the city and she starts telling all of her friends and everybody that she can find, hey, I found the Messiah and lots of other people come to faith in the Lord. But that whole series of events, how did it start? It all just started by Jesus saying, hey... Can I have a drink of that water? And so we do want to be on the lookout for moments like that. And we do want to be very sensitive to the providence of God. Our Lord is very, very good at positioning people, putting people in the right place at the right time so that they can hear the right thing in the right way. And we want to be ready to take advantage of those moments as they come. That is critically important, and I want everybody to lock in on that overriding point. Having said all of that, in the New Testament, neither Jesus nor His apostles ever forced the gospel on anyone who was not interested. And this is where brother overzealous really begins to go off the rails. Because for brother overzealous, the only criteria for whether or not you should seize an opportunity is, hey, do you have a pulse? 
Are you a living, breathing human being? Because if you do, I'm coming to get you. But in the Gospels, that is not what we see. And so, for example, look in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, we read here about this altercation that Jesus has uh, in the region of the Gadarenes. Jesus had been in this particular country... And there's the just the, the amazing story of him healing this demon-possessed man. In fact, this man is not just possessed by one demon. He's possessed by multiple demons. And he casts those demons out of the man. And that caused the rest of the locals there to be not just a little bit wary of Jesus. And so we read in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 verse 34, Behold then, all the city came out to meet Jesus... And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, please ignore the chapter division and notice what's the very next verse. What does it say? Does Matthew chapter 9 verse 1 say, And Jesus told those crowds, No, I think we're going to have a Bible study today. I need to talk to you people about who I am and what I have the power to do. You just sit down and listen to what I have to say. Is that what your Bible says? No, it is not. Matthew 9 verse 1 says, Jesus got into a boat and He crossed over and He came to His own city. Jesus did not try to force and ramrod Himself on those people. They asked Him to leave. Jesus said, okay, see you later. He left. And I think that idea is furthered even throughout the remainder of Jesus' ministry. Look, for example, in Matthew 22. Because in Matthew 22, we see once again that yes... Jesus is looking for opportunities to teach and to share the gospel. But secondly, Jesus refused to cast his pearls before swine. In Matthew chapter 22, a group of the religious elite, they come up to Jesus to to challenge him. They are challenging his authority. Who gives you the authority to say and do the things that you do? These people, as they come and ask this of Jesus, they are not sincere. They are not truth seekers. They are not pure in their motives. No, they're looking simply to trap Jesus. And so notice what Jesus, since He is aware of their motives, He is aware of their insincerity, notice what Jesus' response is at the end. They have a conversation back and forth, but notice the final conclusion of that. Matthew chapter 22, look in verse 27. Matthew 22, verse 27. Everybody's there except me now. Matthew 22 and verse 27. Am I in the right book of the Bible? Matthew 21, 27 is probably what I'm... Ah, yes, there we go. Matthew 21, 27, that looks right. They answered Jesus. Jesus asked them some questions in return. They said, well, we don't know. And look what Jesus said to them. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus did not give what was holy to dogs and to pigs so that they could just trample all over it and not appreciate it. And that is a cue that Jesus' disciples learned to take themselves. Would you step out of the Gospels? Look in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, this is during the first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas come to Antioch of Pisidia. And there they are met with some considerable resistance. Verse 50 of Acts 13 says that there were Jews there in the city who ended up stirring up a persecution against them. And so what do Paul and Barnabas do? That They just demand, hey, we need to stay here. We need to force this. We need to just stand our ground and teach these people the truth. No. Acts 13 verse 51 says that they shook off the dust from their feet against them. They went on to Iconium. I think that's key. 
We need to let that, we need to let these first couple of points just kind of sink in for a moment. Because we are told, and in fact we are sometimes even guilted by certain experts, evangelistic experts, that you know what, you should just never take no for an answer. You just gotta, gotta hold your ground. Gotta keep on persevering. Gotta keep on going on. Gotta push the gospel on through. But, but that is not the example of scripture. Jesus and his disciples were very content to say, hey, if you don't want it, then we're not going to try to shove it down your throat. In many ways, this is where evangelism and salesmanship start to go off in different directions. Can I explain to you what I mean by that? Salesmanship, selling, is getting someone to listen to something that they are not interested in so that they will buy something that they do not want. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a door-to-door salesman come to your home? Rainbow vacuum cleaners. Don't even get me started on those people. They like to just run roughshod over our neighborhood. We've had those occasions before. Want to make us sit and listen to something that we're not interested in so that we'll end up buying something that we don't want. But that's very different from the Gospel. In the Bible, the Gospel is never sold. Evangelism is not trying to go around and recruit a bunch of people and sign them up for some multi-level marketing. That's not what evangelism is. We're not trying to convince bald people to, you know, buy cones. We're not looking to convince Eskimos to buy ice cubes. We're not trying to convince people to buy some needless kitchen gadget. That's not what we're trying to do. And that means then that we don't need to utilize the various tactics and strategies that are necessary to get people to hear something that they don't want to hear or to buy something that they don't want to buy, if you get my meaning by that. That's not evangelism. And quite frankly, it's not very Christ-like either. Which leads into this third principle that we need to consider. And that is that even though Jesus and His disciples were always looking around for opportunities to share the gospel They did not just go chasing after everybody and anybody to try and have a religious conversation. Oh, that guy got away. We didn't get to say something to him. We better go hunt him down. We don't see that in the Gospels. Where in Scripture is this idea that if I see somebody walking down the street, I need to rush up to them and accost them and try to set up a Bible study? That's just not there. Look in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, this is at a time in Jesus' ministry when... He's just white hot. I mean, he is going viral at this point. And there's this huge crowd of people. All kinds of people are trying to get to Jesus. But look at verse 7. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea. Jesus from time to time would actually withdraw himself. Jesus was not always looking to be teaching people 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Oh, look, but one got away, we got over there and get them. No. Jesus from time to time would go off by himself to pray, to rest, to just kind of gather himself and recuperate. Jesus did not approach everybody. Now there certainly are times where Jesus approaches strangers. We noticed earlier from John chapter 4, that woman at the well. I think that's the consummate example of that. But you know what? If you go back and read that story in John chapter 4, even as Jesus does approach that woman and engage in conversation with her, you'll notice that He is testing her. He's testing her to see if she really is interested in what He has to offer. And that is this fourth principle, 
Because Jesus, while He was always looking for opportunities, Jesus would always first gauge and assess for spiritual interest. That's why if you do look back there in John chapter 4, you will notice that it's not just Jesus doing all of the talking throughout that entire episode. No, what you find is Jesus asking lots of questions, and then He lays back, and He listens. He listens. He wants to know where she is. He wants to try to figure out, okay, I see that she's got a little bit of interest. She has a little bit of knowledge about some spiritual things. Let's see if that can be taken to the next step. Let's see if that interest can be developed even further. Let's see just how deep her interest really is. And maybe right here is a great place to state something that I think is obvious to strangers many times, the strangers that we're trying to go and talk to about the gospel. But sometimes we seem rather oblivious to this truth. And that is that just because right now is a good time for me, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good time for them. I know a brother in Christ who is very, very evangelistic minded. He is very much of the John the Baptist model. He's got no fear. He's got no filter. And I mean, he's just always looking for anybody. And he'll shout it from the wilderness if that's what it takes. And so I told him a story about how he went to the house of a couple who had visited the worship assembly um, recently. And that's a good thing. The idea of following up with visitors, great idea. Good idea on him to go and do that. However... He went to their house unannounced and in many ways uninvited. And he found when he got there to their house, he found that this couple was deep in some heavy work on the outside of their house. The man, the husband, was up on the roof of the house. He was repairing a big hole that was in their ceiling, that was in their roof. And the wife, she was assisting him. She was handing and hoisting up shingles. She was going up the ladder and down the ladder, bringing him shingles so that they could get this prepared. And they were doing that with a certain degree of haste because storm clouds were coming. It looked like it was about to rain. Well, this brother, for whatever reason, decided that right now was an opportune time to ask them about setting up a home Bible study. And so he began talking to the wife. She was the one who was still down on the ground. So he starts talking with her. Hey, can we maybe get a Bible study set up? What would be a really good time to do that? I'm looking here at my schedule. You look at your schedule over there. And the woman, of course, is being disrupted from the flow of the work. It's slowing down the entire chain of progress. All of a sudden, it starts to sprinkle. And pretty quickly, it starts to rain. And what does this brother do? He keeps talking. As the wife is trying to scurry and to hurry and to get some things done, this brother thought that now would be a good time to ask the husband, hey, what do you think about setting up a Bible study while he's having rain pour on him, while he's trying to patch this hole in the roof? This brother is up there getting wet, wetter and wetter by the minute, and this brother thought, hey, this would be a great time to ask about a study. As you can probably imagine, that husband became increasingly irate, increasingly upset. And the end of that story is not that it ended up raining so much that it created a big puddle there in the yard and he baptized them 11 minutes later. That's not the conclusion to that story. The conclusion to that story is that that couple, they never showed up to services again and never were willing to talk to that brother again. And so while we hear these grandiose and wonderful stories 
about a Christian who was, was bold enough and he was courageous enough to go to, to the random stranger at the checkout line and just strike up a spiritual conversation. And that subsequently led to this and led to this and eventually it led to that glorious moment where someone was baptized into Christ. As wonderful as those stories are, I wonder how many more stories are out there that's more akin to the story that I just told you. Where someone lacked wisdom. Where someone had an inability to assess spiritual interests. Where someone demonstrated folly. And they didn't think about what was really appropriate in that moment. And instead, they ended up creating an unwanted intrusion. We are not in the business of purposely and intentionally putting people in uncomfortable situations. And so yes, I understand that every stranger has a soul and we want to help save every single soul. But I also understand that in the book of Acts, for example, Paul always first went where when he came into a new city? He went to the synagogue. Why did he go to the synagogue? Because he knew he would find some people who would have some measure of spiritual interest. He's talking to people who are spiritually minded. He would go there on the Sabbath recognizing that, hey, here's some people that not only do they have interest, but they have some time to listen and to talk and to engage in discussion. In fact, in Acts the 17th chapter, when Paul comes to Athens, Paul does not go directly to the Areopagus and start preaching to everybody. In Acts 17, Paul waits until he is invited to go and to have that Bible discussion. And what all of this is to say, is to say that we're looking for opportunities. We're always looking for opportunities. We never know when we might be standing in the checkout line. Or we might be getting our hair cut. Or we might be at school and some random person strikes up a conversation with us and before you know it, We've got a Samaritan woman at the well situation. Or before you know it, it's Philip out in the desert talking to this Ethiopian man and he's asking, you know, what's hindering me from being baptized? We never know when those moments might come. But even as we are being keenly aware, trying to be conscious, always being on the lookout for those opportunities, we want to be certain that we are mindful of these various don'ts. I don't want to be forcing anything on anybody that they do not want and they did not ask for. I do not want to be casting pearls before swine. Here I'm just trying to put this on people and before you know it, they're just completely disrespecting the gospel of Jesus the Christ. I don't want to feel like it is my duty and my obligation to try and approach and convert every person that I ever meet or that I ever see with my eyes. And I don't either want to proceed without doing some of that measuring, that gauging, that assessing of spiritual interests because I sure don't want to create any kind of unwanted intrusion. And so somebody would ask, the title of this lesson was, Do or Don't Talk to Strangers? Which is it? And the answer is this. The answer is, we're always looking for opportunities to share the gospel, but we always want to make sure to use wisdom and to use discretion. Look in Colossians 4. In Colossians 4, here's the here's maybe the takeaway passage that, that, that ought to really just try to, to guide every principle and everything that we're trying to do in our evangelistic efforts with everybody, but especially with people who are strangers, people that we do not know. 
In Colossians chapter 4, this is verse number 5. Colossians 4 verse 5, Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I would just add here that part of having gracious speech would mean recognizing when to talk. Not just how to talk, but when to talk. And what's appropriate? And is this the right time? And is this best for that other person? Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The good news is, none of us needs to completely just change our personality and become John the Baptist overnight in order to be pleasing to God. Am I thankful for good brothers and good sisters who have that kind of, you know, never met a stranger personality and they're willing to just strike up random conversations with people and just immediately jump right into religious discussion? I'm thankful for those folks. I think we got some folks like that in this congregation and may God bless the efforts of those folks. But you don't have to be that person. That's not what God's calling you to do. He's not calling you to completely rewire everything about your character and your personality so that you can be something that you are not. Instead, you be you. And you do evangelism in the way that you can do it. In the way that best maximizes your talents and your abilities and your personality. And the good news is, when we're just trying to make every effort to influence and to have the right example and to sow a little bit of seed here and sow a little bit of seed there, the good news is, we don't have to be responsible for the growth. God will be the one who gives the growth. If He so chooses to, if He sees there that there's something to work with, if that seed falls on a good and honest heart, God will make sure that the growth is going to take place. I just want to make sure that I'm doing what I can and being what I can right where I can. That's my answer to the question of do you or don't you talk to strangers and accost them with the gospel. I look forward to maybe hearing your thoughts on this and some other biblical principles that would certainly be worth worthy of our consideration as we try to help lead others to Jesus Christ. Now, we always set aside this time at the end of every assembly to afford an opportunity for, once again, for anybody to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to try to limit that to, well, you got to pass all of these criteria in order to be a candidate to become a Christian. No. Nope. Jesus offers that freely to whosoever will may come. You may be sitting here this evening and I may not even know you all that well. I'm trying to scour scour the group here. There's maybe one or two people here that I don't know really, really well. And in one sense, you may sort of be like a stranger to us. But right now, we are going to sing a song that is designed to encourage you, that is designed to admonish you, and is designed to get you to think about your soul in relation to to eternity. We're going to sing the song in just a moment, Lamb of God. God sent His Son to this earth to be the sacrifice, the Lamb, the perfect spotless Lamb that you and I needed in order to have the remission of our sins. Will you not take advantage of that amazing and powerful truth? Will you not surrender your will to His in obedience, confessing your faith in Jesus as God's Son, repenting, turning away from sin, and turning to God And then being buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. Those are the things that the Bible lays forth as conditions in order to become a child of God. And we assist you in doing that this evening. If you are a child of God, but you've not really been living like one, brother or sister, then this is an opportunity for you as well to repent, to 
Call upon your spiritual family here to pray with you, to encourage you, and to assist you in serving the Lord in a better way from this day forward. Whatever your need may be, the opportunity is yours. Will you take advantage of it? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.